Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. Dr. Todd Johnson is Professor of Mission and Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary in Boston. He's also co-director of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, which is an academic research center that monitors worldwide demographic trends in Christianity. They publish, among other books and papers, the World Christian Encyclopedia. I'm Karen Stiller, and I'm joined today by my friend and colleague, Rick Heemstra, Director of Research for the EFC. In this interview, we hear what is encouraging Todd now, and also about some healthy and needed challenges to the Western Church. I can't think of another person with such a vast perspective and wonderfully informed bird's eye view of the church around the world. We hope you enjoy this conversation. So Todd, I'd love for us to begin with you just explaining a little bit about the work of the Center for the Study of Global Christianity, in case some of our listeners aren't aware of it. We're a a research center that studies Christianity in every country of the world, and every kind of Christianity, you know, ranging from Catholic to Orthodox to Protestant to Evangelical to Pentecostal to independent movements, uh, house churches. So there's quite a wide variety, and and there's a, a lot of countries in the world. So we're trying to keep track of what's happening, and we're perhaps most well-known for counting Christians, because once you look at all the different forms, you realize that they all have a certain number of congregations and a certain number of members, and and we collect that information and publish it in encyclopedias and atlases. And so we're, we're really a reference uh, work type of uh, outfit. And we have been going continuously for 55 years. So we we started in 1965 in Nairobi, Kenya. The British Anglican missionary David Barrett put together the first World Christian Encyclopedia. And then I joined him on the second edition about the year 2000 or so. We finished it about then. And we just finished the third edition in 2020. And now we've been at Gordon-Conwell for 18 years. So I mentioned in the, in the introduction that Rick Heemstra, our director of uh, research, is with us, and I know he must have a numbers question. So over to you, Rick. Ask your number question. Yeah, so every church has a different way of counting, and what I'm really interested in is how do you count, who do you get the information from, and how do you decide what is good and what isn't? Yeah, so most churches are not actually that concerned with numbers as much as they are with people. But once you're concerned about people, then you have names, then you have lists, and pretty soon you have numbers. So one of the things that makes our job interesting is that churches do collect differing kinds of numbers. And the simplest one is that some churches only count adults or 15 and over, or 12 and over, or 10 and over. At some point in a young person's life, they could become a member of a church. And that's one way of counting. Another way is to baptize infants or even just dedicate infants, but then count them as part of your membership. So probably the most fundamental difference within churches for counting is whether or not they count children. And then if they don't count children, we have to find out what age it is that they begin the counting 
process, and then we have to adjust. So if you're going to compare, um, you know, a church that counts all the children and one that doesn't, then we have to make adjustments for that. And that's probably the most fundamental difference in counting um, that we face, you know, in, in uh, kind of our worldwide assessment of what's going on. So, Todd, I, I will jump in now. Uh, we can come back to that later, though. Actually, Rick and I have been chatting lately with some of the other staff at the EFC and just actually feeling pretty discouraged about the state of the church, at least in North America, we will uh, admit. And um, just with things going on politically and leaders falling and all that stuff. And you, I think of all people in my orbit, at least, have this amazing bird's eye view of the global church. And I would love for you to encourage us. <laughs> what is encouraging you right now when you look at the church around the world? Yeah, well, I think I think probably the, the number one thing is just the sheer diversity of, of Christianity. That it this faith, you know, that started, it started in Asia, in West Asia, and has traveled all around the world throughout the centuries and is now spreading again, I should, you know, in, in ways and in places that may be kind of unexpected. And part of what we get to see is just the amazing diversity of the Christian faith. And, and one of the ways, the unexpected ways that we've enjoyed this is that when we put together our latest encyclopedia, the World Christian Encyclopedia, we gathered photographs from all over the world and in doing so, we, we got sort of a visual look into, into Christian activities and Christians themselves, of course, who are doing all kinds of things all over the world. And uh, even, even just looking at those photographs, and of course, we have many that weren't published. So we, we have access to all these amazing pictures of Christians around the world. But it's really the diversity of Christianity that is so encouraging that this news is so good that people from sort of, you know, every tribe and tongue eventually, let's say, will be impacted in a positive way by this. And no one's left out. That's the interesting and exciting thing about it. That's probably the single thing that encourages me more than anything else. You know, the fact that we can see people speaking so many different languages and living in so many different circumstances. And their, their circumstances aren't all positive, of course. Christians suffer, suffer in economic ways, and they suffer in under persecution and, and that sort of a thing. But then you have the, you know, all the stories of courage under those conditions. So, so I think there's a lot to be encouraged about. There's a lot of challenges too, but belonging to this global diverse community is is encouraging in itself i think once you realize just what's happening could you tell us a story about a place in the world where christianity is growing the fastest and try and explain to us a little bit about what's the story why did it come to this place where you see this very explosive growth yeah, well, there's there's uh, several countries that come to mind. One that I think is important in the, in the recent history of Christianity is Cambodia. I had the privilege of working in the refugee camps in Thailand in the late 1970s, early 80s, and saw Cambodians pouring across the border because of the Pol Pot genocide, 
that was taking place. And what that did in, in though there was a Christian presence there during that period, many Christians were killed and only a small number remained. But what happened is that many Cambodians uh, uh, experienced uh, Jesus for the very first time in that terrible context, both in Southeast Asia and then in moving around the world. And if you visit Cambodia, even now, what you experience is, is almost like the first century of Christianity, because everything has just started from the ground up. And it's amazing to see and to personally know many Cambodians whose lives have been changed and healing has come in such a grim circumstance. And leaders, you know, young Cambodian leaders are there's just some of the most encouraging people you could meet in the whole world. So the, the church there, is, I think, represents what can happen in a situation where there aren't very many Christians and where the gospel comes in and brings healing. And, and there's people from many different countries, Christians from many different countries who are working there. And, and another interesting part of that story is how Cambodians who left, who had to leave and were re relocated all over the world, including Canada and the U.S. and France and Australia and many other places, have become Christians outside of Cambodia and have gone back and invested in the growth of the church there, making trips back and helping to support ministries. And so it's really a global effort, and it really does show just how good the good news is, that it has this transforming effect. And it's a great place to go to, you know, to see discipleship, but it's also a place to go to see social action, social justice, all sorts of things are happening from the ground up. And I, I just think it is one of the most encouraging places to visit in the world and having seen Christianity come from practically nothing. In fact, I made a nice trip there with the head of the EFC back in the early 2000s, and he and I went and had dinner with the, with the head of the EFC there, which was the Evangelical Fellowship of Cambodia. So I got to witness these two EFCs have dinner with each other and, and uh, make some really neat connections at that time, which was, a, which was also fun to see the connections between the global church and the Cambodian church. Uh, that has also been very significant. Yeah, that is so cool. I mean, I think there's so many ways we can be encouraged by the growth of the church in the majority world. I'm wondering what some of the lessons, I think you've hinted at some of them, that you think are there for us in the Western church if we are humble enough and ready to listen. Going back to those photographs again, what you see is engagement with some of the most challenging problems faced by humanity. So if you go to Oceania, and I, I've just actually been editing a volume right up until a few minutes ago on uh, Christianity in the Pacific Islands, and a lot of our pictures from there are Christians advocating for dealing with climate change, because they, they have actually been one of the recipients, the negative recipients of climate change when many of the islands are going under. And most of the people on these islands are Christians. And so the Pacific youth have been uh, advocating 
for the rest of the world to do something about climate change. I think it's those kind of voices that uh, the Western world can learn from. We've typically get gotten confused, especially in evangelicalism, about the relationship between evangelism and social justice or social action. But, but people who live every day in this context are a lot less confused and can integrate their understanding of how the gospel impacts person's spiritual life, but also fit the physical realm and, and the fact that we're really to be active across this spectrum. It isn't really a contradiction or it, there's a tension there, but it's not, it's not contradictory like many Westerners struggle with. And so I think maybe this is one of the great lessons that comes from the global church is just how to do that. And, the, and within the evangelical world, there's all sorts of encouraging meetings and publications that are going on. I just got a book a couple of weeks ago called Relentless Love, which is the Micah Challenge. <clears throat> the, the people that are meeting under the Micah Challenge, and they've produced a book which integrates the, this. And I, I teach a course on it here at Gordon-Conwell. And I always use Global South material. It's the best material on how to integrate your faith and, and uh, social action of various kinds. So for me, this is, it, it's just a tremendous lesson. And it's been coming for decades, really, for, from the Global South. And I think it'll help us as we go into the future. So is it our comfort that confuses us here in the Western world? Well, I, I think so. I think so. When you don't face things on a daily basis, they become less real. You know, our, our circumstances affect what we notice and prioritize as we read the scriptures. And I do think uh, the circumstances in, in Africa or in Asia, in Latin America, I mean, Latin Americans have been so clear on this. I mean, they, they sort of invented the, the term integral mission which helps us to, again, to bring these together in a more natural way, in a more biblical way, too. Yeah, I think context has a lot to do with it. And the Bible is pretty clear. If you're wealthy, you're going to have trouble perceiving the good news. You know, I mean, it gets in the way. But we're still part of the church, and we still have to find our way and I think that is true. Maybe you've heard the example that's given of seminary students in Russia and the United States who were asked to retell the story of the prodigal son. And so they heard it, and then they got into a room with somebody and they repeated what they had heard. And uh, the people from the United States didn't mention one thing that all the Russians mentioned in the story, and that's the fact that there was a famine in the land. So something as simple as that, because the Russians had experienced famines, and this is a very important detail in the story, but maybe in the United States, just not something you'd think about. to Even to retell the story, you miss it out because of your context. So I think that's, that's what we have. That's what, one of the things we face. So clearly there's things for us to learn from other parts of the world. And you said that things are less real for us. What would your advice be to those in the North American church about how to somehow allow these things to become more real for us? Yeah, well, that's the good news, I think. I think we we have this tremendous opportunity, but I think we have to be 
uh, uh, cautious in how we go about this. And I'll, I'll just give you a little example from a few years ago. I was I was in uh, Wittenberg, Germany, celebrating the uh, 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation in 2017. We had actually just produced some research showing that 41% of all Protestants in 2017 were Africans. And there's about 100 people in the room, and there are probably six or seven Africans there instead of 41, you know, I mean, being representative. It was a global meeting. So um, during the meeting, somebody from up front said, you know, we want Africans to know that they're welcome at the table here at this in this organization or this umbrella group. And uh, I had a friend sitting next to me from Ghana, and he leaned over to a small group of us. And he said, he said, we have a proverb in Ghana. It's good for you invite to invite me to the table, but it's better if you invite me in the kitchen. That's really good. That to me, that said something to me that that's the difference, really, because what what Western or people from the global north have been doing even even out of a very positive goodwill, is setting the menu ahead of these meetings and then expecting everybody else to follow that menu. And what we really need is the chaos, maybe, of having everybody in the kitchen and coming up with a, you know, a completely new menu that none of us have experienced before. And I think that's that's really where we need to go in the future. And so Westerners or, you know, people from the global north can't just step back, step out completely. We're, we're all in this together. And there's still a lot of resources in the global north. So it'll be important for, for us all to engage, but probably under new, a new set of rules and a, a new way of doing things. And that, that's going to take some practice and, you know, some mistakes will be made, but but that's going to be exciting, I think. That's where we want to go in the future. You know, when you were saying about inviting people to the table and what your Ghanaian friends replied with, I thought right away when we talk about inviting people to a table, we are presuming we are the host. And that's kind of the problem here, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, you know, somebody, I mean, these metaphors only go so far, but somebody asked me later and said, well, who built the kitchen? So you can get, (laughs) you can get, uh, you can get confused, but, but it's real, it's actually simple. And I mean, one, one leader uh, told me more recently, he said, you know, it's great that we we're talking about how global Christianity is, but he said, and he was from Latin America and he said, you know what? We read your books, but you don't read our books. And we sing your songs, but you don't sing our songs. And I thought, well, see, so the direction, the whole direction of resources kind of has to turn around and go in the other direction. Just a lot more listening. And what I would like in the future is when I go to celebrate Easter in Boston or wherever I am, I want to sing songs from all over the world. Some of them be translated because I can't speak every language in the world, but I could benefit on an Easter to sing all these different hymns and choruses and songs that have been composed by Christians from all over the world. I think that's that would be good. 
But when I, you know, I had a friend who, who actually composes indigenous Christian music in Asia, and she told me there's no market for indigenous music. So it's, it's a challenge getting past the market, which is, again, so strong in, in the Western world and promotes uh, particular kinds of music, uh, which is good music. There's actually nothing wrong with it, but we just need the... We need the variety of, of this diversity if we're going to really represent uh, who we are. You know, for all the uh, sort of right criticism of, say, mission trips done by churches and so on, one, one redeeming thing I think that is true about them is that it gets people into places they might not otherwise ever see. And I know that's about us learning and that's not necessarily the best a way to, or the best reason to travel, but traveling and like your experience in Cambodia, for example, that you mentioned is so powerful. I had the privilege of attending a church service in Cambodia a few years ago and the preacher spoke on forgiveness. And it, I was, I thought this is incredible to hear a message of forgiveness being preached in Cambodia. Traveling is so, so powerful and can open our minds and see the value of of these of other other cultures that are so different from ours. Yeah, that's right. But even that's changing. Um, like, uh, I mean, I was I would I had to go to Jerusalem. I've only been there once, and I was in Singapore on my. I was living in Thailand, and I got on a, a plane in Singapore and flew to Tel Aviv, and everybody on that plane was Korean except for me. And they were Christians, and they were going to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. So who is traveling? Every, everybody's traveling. Yeah. And in fact, from Vancouver, there was a trip that was taken to Kenya, and one of the people who went was a Japanese Christian. And when he saw the contextualization of the gospel in Kenya, he began to wonder, why in Japan don't we contextualize the gospel? Uh, and that was made into a little film at Regent College, I think, which shows cross-fertilization. Or another Korean friend of mine who taught a seminar on worship music in Cairo, Egypt to teenagers. You know, So there's, there's a cross-pollinization, fertilization. You know, I have Brazilian friends who are working in Thailand now where I worked in the past. And so things are looking different. And that's actually good news really uh, for is. Christianity. Even short-term trips are happening from, every, you know, sort of everywhere to everywhere. So, and I agree with you that that, that contact is, is really, really important. You know, whatever way we can encounter each other is, is generally a positive thing. So I would be for that, yeah. Todd, you've given us a couple of examples of people in Brazil and, and, and Korea that are doing a good job of, to borrow the Apostle Paul's language, uh, discerning the body. Can you give some exam an example of somewhere in, in North America, a church or a denomination that is doing a good job of discerning the body of Christ, like the, the worldwide body? This is one of the areas in, in the Western world that's absolutely critical. I have a, one of my students in a doctor of ministry program is a pastor in Texas. 
and uh, he wrote his his uh, thesis project dissertation on how his church was interacting with refugees who had settled there from the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's a fascinating study of hospitality, of difficulties in communication, of misunderstandings, but of, of great love and commitment in both directions. Uh, and it's really just terrific to see because they were actually hosting this congregation in their congregation, both at a, you know, sort of at a different time of the day on Sunday, but also uh, in partnership together and learning together. I think uh, immigration and migration is part of this story too. And, you know, learning how to welcome, uh, learning how to work together. Uh, And that's a thing, you know, we talk about, you know, the state of the church, but you don't have to go to the other side of the world necessarily to be encouraged because Christians from all over the world are living all over the world now. Uh, so the Western world is inviting, uh, well, let's hope the Western world is inviting Christians from all around the world to live very close by and to work together. And in fact, a place like Boston, which is you know sort of considered post-Christian in many ways. Researchers here have said, hey, you're you're not paying attention to what's happening in the immigrant community here. And so there's a there's v- many different vibrant f- forms of, of uh, Christianity in Boston that are immigrant, including Cambodian Christians uh, as well. And they they actually call it the quiet revival because nobody knows about it, but it's happening in, in our major cities, we're seeing global Christianity, Christianity from Africa, Asia, Latin America, come in and have a, an impact in places that are often considered on the decline with church membership and all sorts of things. And that's, that's happening in Europe as well, not just in, in the U.S. and Canada. I think that's an area that there's a much promise for the future. Yeah, I think some of your research has shown that in Canada, right, Rick? Or we've certainly read that, that uh, the immigrant population is giving new life to, you know, maybe mainline denominations in a way that's very exciting. Yeah, there's a there's a story from Canada that I love, um, which I think was in the New York Times a few, few years ago about Mennonites um, who wouldn't talk to each other in a small town. Uh, but then the town decided to uh, sponsor Syrian refugees. And when the Syrian refugees got there, the Mennonites realized we've got to talk to each other if we're going to host this family. And it actually healed some longstanding wounds within that community to have this uh, hospitality of for this Syrian family. So it's just a great story of how opportunities like this can can bring us together too. That is a great story. I would love for you to share just what we can expect from the center in the next couple of years. What's what's happening? What uh, information are you going to be sharing as we kind of wind up here? Yeah, well, one of the things we're, there's two big projects we're working on that we're very excited about. Um, if I can go back to those photographs again, I didn't expect to do this, but I just love these photographs. One of the things that we found out 
which might not surprise you, is when we were just collecting these photos from all around the world, is that most of the photos were women. Um, and we've, we've, one of the things that we're aware of is the fact that women do most of the work in global Christianity and yet uh, don't lead as, as often as they probably could. This concerned us enough, and especially my colleague, uh, Dr. Gina Zerlo at the center, that uh, we actually got a grant to study women in world Christianity. And we're doing a global survey in about eight different languages of what women are doing and what everyone thinks about it, men and women. And we're trying to understand it better. Probably a textbook is going to come out of this that Dr. Zerlo will do. So we're excited because it's an area that's understudied and it's just so important in Christianity. So we're, we're really excited to, to be engaged in that. Another project that is, is, is at the midway point, I mentioned earlier that I was just working on a, a book on Christianity and Oceania. It's actually volume five of a 10 volume series in which we get 35 people from different regions around the world um, tell us what's happening in Christianity in each of those regions. So um, we're, we're, we're actually running through the global south first. So we did two Africa volumes, two Asia volumes. Then we have the Oceania volume. Next is Latin America. That's six. Volume seven is North America which has a Canadian editor, by the way. Excellent. Um, and then um, after that, we have two Europe volumes. And then finally, we'll, we'll have a, a, another little atlas, a mini atlas uh, of Christianity worldwide. Uh, and this, this is called the Edinburgh Companions to Global Christianity. Um, and it's our attempt. It'll be 350 voices from around the world saying this is what's happening in our region. So um, we're really excited about that project and um, hoping that that will complement what we did in the encyclopedia, which is our synthesis of what's happening around the world. I mean, we had a thousand people tell us, you know, what they what was happening in their countries. And now we're, we've got 350 people writing about what is happening. So we're, we're, um, we're excited about that. Yeah, that is awesome. And we'll put links uh, to the center and also to the um, gender and congregational life study in the notes uh, for the podcast so people can participate in that. I want you to know I filled out the survey. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Good. Well, Todd, thank you so, so much for uh, giving us your time today. It's, it's really fascinating. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.